So we are starting in, and for Advent, we're looking at the book of Hosea. Hosea, what a book in the Bible. I encourage you through the coming week to, when you have an opportunity, to pick up your Bible and read through the entire book of Hosea. It's a good book. It's exciting. So read through it. And I, it's a little wild, I have to warn you, but uh, God and his word is perfect and, and true, and he teaches and guides us. So wonderful book. So please read through it as uh, to prepare your hearts and minds for Advent. Because ultimately, the entire book of Hosea is about that theme. Even though God's people is, that God's people can be unfaithful, God is always faithful. And God will show his mercy. God will show his forgiveness. God will show his judgment. And God will bring about his plan and his ways. He is faithful. And we can trust him at all times. That is the theme of the book of Hosea. So we're going to begin in looking at Hosea chapter 1. This is on page 800. And 89 in the Bibles provided in the chairs. And also, if you're looking up in your own Bible, it's right after Daniel. So if you find Daniel, flip to the end of Daniel and you'll run into Hosea. So Hosea chapter 1. Hosea chapter 1, starting at verse 1. The word of the Lord came to Hosea son of Berai, during the reigns of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. And during the reign of Jeroboam, this is Jeroboam the second, Jeroboam the second, in the reign of Jeroboam, son of Jehoash, king of Israel. When the Lord began to speak through Hosea, The Lord said to him, Go, take to yourself an adulterous wife and children of unfaithfulness, because the land is guilty of the vilest adultery in departing from the Lord. So he married Gomer, daughter of Diblaim, and she conceived and bore him a son. Then the Lord said to Hosea, Call him Jezreel, because I will soon punish the house of Jehu for the massacre at Jezreel. And I will put an end to the kingdom of Israel. In that day, I will break Israel's bow in the valley of Jezreel. Gomer conceived again and gave birth to a daughter. Then the Lord said to Hosea, Call her Lo-Rahama, for I will no longer show love to the house of Israel, that I should at all forgive them. Lo-Rahama would be no mercy, is the translation of that from the Hebrew. No mercy. Verse 7. Yet I will show love to the house of Judah, and I will save them, not by bow, sword or battle or by horses 
and horsemen, but by the Lord their God. Here's one of the clearest displays in the Old Testament pointing to God saving his people by his son, Jesus Christ. Here's one of the pointing ahead to that moment. Verse 8. After she had weaned Lo Ruhamah, Gomer had another son. Then the Lord said, Call him Lo Ami, for you are not my people, and I am not your God. Yet the Israelites will be like the sand on the shore, which cannot be measured or counted. In the place where it was said to them, you are not my people, they will be called sons of the living God. The people of Judah and the people of Israel will be reunited and they will appoint one leader and will come up out of the land for great will be the day of Jezreel. Hallelujah. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your truth. Father, we pray that you would guide us, give us wisdom and understanding through the power of your Holy Spirit. We pray, Lord, for discernment that we may know your truth, be guided in your ways, and live to your glory. We pray for your help now and ever forward. In Christ's wonderful name, amen. We have the prophet Hosea. And as Hosea chapter 1 verses, verse 1 describes, it describes the time, the setting that Hosea is prophesying. And he is prophesying to both Judah and Israel, but mostly to Israel, to the northern kingdom. That's where the main focus of this, this prophecy is directed. Because Israel, the northern kingdom, will be destroyed. This is God making that very clear. Judgment is coming. They will be destroyed. They will be destroyed because they have not obeyed God's law. They have worshipped to false gods. They have practiced all the immoral and abominable practices of the people in the land that they were not supposed to be like. They were supposed to be a holy people, separated out to God. But not only have they worshipped the false gods, they have lived the immoral lifestyle and brought about God's judgment to them. This is interesting because as it says in verse 1, where it directs its focus to Israel, the kingdom in the north, it talks about during the reign of Jeroboam. So this is Jeroboam the second. So if you want to take a little look at Jeroboam, then I direct you to 2 Kings. You want to turn to 2 Kings chapter 14. Here we'll get a little look at Jeroboam. And what's amazing about this is during the reign of Jeroboam, things were going great. 
when it comes to military power, economic expansion, regaining territory that had been lost. So for a lot of the people of Israel, they would consider these good days. The stock market's high. Jobs are increasing. These are thriving days. The military's going out and gaining more land and and, uh, trade is up. And I mean, these things are going well. But let's see this and understand this. 2 Kings chapter 14, starting at verse 23. So here's a little picture into this exact time. And this is when Hosea is prophesying in the midst of this time. In the 15th year of Amaziah, the son of Joash, king of Judah, Jeroboam, so this is the same Jeroboam, Jeroboam the second, Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel, began to reign in Samaria. And he reigned 41 years. This is one of the longest established times of one king for Israel. So 41 years. This is amazing. So not only do they have, they have, they have a continuous leadership. Verse 24, but here's the issue. Here's the issue. And he did what was, what's it say there? Evil in the sight of the Lord. Oh. When you're going through First and Second Kings, and you get to that line, and it says, and he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, this is not good. This is not good. And sadly for Israel, that becomes the pattern. That becomes the pattern. So here's the issue. He did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And what does this mean? So this is what this means. He did not depart from all the sins of Jeroboam. This is Jeroboam the first. Remember, he's Jeroboam the second. So there had to be a first. This is talking about Jeroboam the first. The sins of Jeroboam the which he made Israel to sin. And what were those sins? The sins of idolatry. The sins of uh, disregarding God's law, God's commands, and leading the people into the worship of idols. Taking God's eyes and focus off the one true God for his own purpose and gain. So verse 25 but here's what's amazing, though. He did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, but what, good, what did God allow during his kingdom and his reign? Verse 25. He restored the border of Israel from Lebo Hamath as far as the sea of the Erebah, according to the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, which he spoke by his servant Jonah. There's good old Jonah. The son of Amittai, the prophet who was from gath Hefer, For the Lord saw that the affliction of Israel was very bitter, for there was none left, bond or free, and there was none to help Israel. Wow. So even though their king is 
very wicked. He's doing evil in the sight of the Lord. And he's following in the same patterns of Jeroboam the first and the many wicked kings before him. Now he's continuing in this regard, but still God is allowing him to expand the kingdom through military might. God is allowing trade. God's allowing an increase in prosperity for the land for a time. For a time. Just purely out of his grace and his sovereign will as a part of his plan. And it says why in verse 26. For the Lord saw that the affliction of Israel was very bitter. Verse 27. But the Lord had not said that he would blot out the name of Israel from under heaven. He hasn't said that yet. That's the key. So when we get into Hosea, what is God saying? Now's the time of judgment. Yet even then, he isn't blotting out every name. He has a remnant. He has a people that he is saving and preserving. But the Lord had not said that he would blot out the name of Israel from under heaven. So he saved them by the hand of Jeroboam. Was it because Jeroboam was righteous? No. Was it because Jeroboam sought to do the will of the Lord? No. He saved them by the hand of Jeroboam because he was having mercy He was showing grace and he was displaying his power for his purpose and his plan. It was very crucial. By the hand of Jeroboam, the son of Joash. So here comes Hosea, this prophet of the Lord. And he is prophesying that God is going to bring his judgment. That God is going to destroy Israel, that God will forgive, that he will preserve the house of Judah. He will preserve some of Israel, but overall, he is going to bring unforgiveness. He is going to not be their God anymore. He's going to bring destruction. He's prophesying this when it appears that everything is going well and God is only displaying his blessings and his love on them. And yet God is speaking this message of judgment, calling out for repentance of the people in this time. So that's the context. That's the time that Hosea is doing his prophesying. And we see here where the God does, God does a very powerful thing. God is going to illustrate how unfaithful the people of Israel are So he has Hosea marry Gomer, and Gomer is going to be unfaithful to Hosea. And God is going to use that as an image to display how even though Gomer is unfaithful, Hosea remains faithful. Just as God's people, they are unfaithful, God is always faithful. So that's the key. That's the theme as we enter into this book of prophecy of Hosea. It's a beautiful statement. So on the back of your outlines, I mean, at the back of your bulletins, there's a little outline there. So we look at some of these key points 
as we go into this chapter. And that's the first one there is a faithful husband and an unfaithful wife. This is the key theme. This is how this is displayed by the prophet of Hosea. But ultimately what that's pointing to is a faithful God and an unfaithful people. And we saw that when we looked at 2 Kings 14. So these are kind of the three points, the three children. The first one, the first child, child number one, is named Jezreel. Jezreel. We see that in verse 4. Jezreel takes you back to this promise. This promise that God gave to Ahab and Jezebel. And God said this, that Ahab and Jezebel will be destroyed. And all their households, all their offspring will be destroyed. They will face judgment. They will face God's wrath. And God uses Jehu to do this. But Jehu ruthlessly goes through and creates this massacre. And that's what we see here. But also the thing with Jehu is Jehu does not remain faithful to the very God who rose him up to that position of leadership. So we see that that God is going to bring an end to Israel. He's going to bring an end to this continual line after line of disobedience to God. King after king, people after people led into idolatry and immorality. And God is going to put an end to that. So that's why the first child is named Jezreel. That reminds them of that valley where the destruction of Ahab, Jezebel, the descendants of Ahab, takes place and Jehu rises up. But then Jehu himself is unfaithful to God. So we see this pattern. So that first child is to represent the end of the house of Israel. Remember, that's how 2 Kings 14 ended. It says, but God had not yet said he was going to blot out the name of Israel at that time. Now's the time. Hosea is prophesying the coming judgment where the northern kingdoms are going to be captured and taken away and, and destroyed. So this is where we see that. So that's what the first child represents. The second child, the second child, this is starting in verse 6. Gomer conceived again and gave birth to a daughter. Then the Lord said to Hosea, call her no mercy. That's what the name means here. No mercy. For I will no longer show love or mercy to the house of Israel. So child two is no mercy. God here is displaying something that the people of Israel, the people of Judah, had felt entitled to. Entitled to. Well, regardless of how immoral we are, or regardless of how much we disobey God's law, or regardless of how much idolatry we practice, God will forgive us. God will show mercy. Because we are God's people. We can go and go to the temple on the Sabbath 
and we can have those sacrifices take place and, and the priest, as long as they are doing what they should be doing. And then from the rest of the week, for the people of Israel, from, from Sunday until the next Friday, we can burn some incense to this and we can offer a child to Molech and we can offer a sacrifice to Baal and we can indulge in the activities of the pagan nations around us and we're fine. We can have it all. We can be worshipers of the one true God on the Sabbath and we can worship Baal on Tuesday through Wednesday and we can use Molech for Thursday into Friday morning. But we're God's people. He has to forgive us. He has to show mercy to us. That's who we are. We are entitled to that from God. Now that should sound familiar, that attitude, because that attitude is the attitude we saw in the New Testament by who? The Pharisees, the scribes, the leaders in the temple. And that's why Jesus comes along and points out the hypocrisy, entitlement, and pride that is being presented there. So this is the same thing that's taking place here. So that's why this is a powerful title. When God speaks this out and says, call this child no mercy, because God is saying, I will no longer show mercy or forgiveness for Israel. There are few more terrifying, shaking statements in the Bible than that. To have God come and say, I am not going to show mercy anymore. I'm not going to show forgiveness anymore. Is right there as Romans 1 begins and it talks about what God does. What, what it means for God not to show mercy and not to show forgiveness is when God comes and says, I am just going to let you continue your path of destruction. And I'm not going to stop you. I'm not going to turn you to me. I'm not going to discipline you. I'm not going to open your eyes to see that you're heading to destruction. And that's where Romans 1, it says, and God gives them over. That's what this means. For God not to show mercy and not to show forgiveness, not to show grace, is to just give us over. And that's what we see captured here with this name, with this statement. It's a terrifying statement. This should shake you. And what's so hard for the people during the time of Hosea's time as far as we can understand, most of the people gave no ear to it. They gave no ear to it. Things were good. The kingdom was expanding. Everything was good. And, you, and you're coming and preaching this type stuff. <laughs> what are you talking about? We're blessed. Why are you saying God's not going to show mercy? God's not going to show forgiveness. It just doesn't make any sense. The people were asleep in their comfort and the prophets speaking out warning and judgment. 
But what's powerful in the midst of this, God is God. And part of God's attributes of holiness and justice, he is also merciful and gracious. He's slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. So we have this in verse 7. So God is showing that the north, Israel, is going to be destroyed. But Judah, Judah. So here's verse 7. Yet I will show love, mercy, to the house of Judah. And I will save them. Not by bow, sword, or battle, or by horses and horsemen, but by the Lord their God. Now you can see the contrast God is using Hosea saying that Israel, the kingdom of Israel, the northern kingdom, is going to be destroyed. Because God's not going to show mercy. He's not going to show forgiveness. He's going to give them over to their own disobedient, rebellious, wicked hearts. He's just going to hand them over to that. But why they they don't have ears to hear, they don't have eyes to see the truth of that, is because they have some of the greatest horses and bowmen and soldiers. And because of their military might, the kingdom is expanding. So they think that they are being saved through the strength of their own hand, their own ability, and their own power. It's pride. But God says, I'm going to save Judah, and I'm going to make it clear that when Judah is saved, they will understand that they are not saved by any strength of arm, by any weapon, by any military might, but they are saved by God and God alone. Isn't that the entire theme of the Old Testament? Have mercy. God does this again and again and again. He comes to barren women and says, you're going to have a child. He sends, he comes to one man Abram with his wife who are way too old to have children. And he says, you're going to become a nation. Then he sends these people into the promised land against much more powerful, much greater. He sends them to Jericho and they march around the walls. It's ridiculous. If you don't understand, God's doing this all to display that they are saved by the Lord their God. Not by their ability, not by their strength, not by their might. It's God who saves. It's God who saves. So that's what what God's doing here. He's revealing in verse 7. It is God who saves, and God's going to save Judah And he's going to do it, and we understand how he's going to do it. He's going to do it by the sending of his only begotten son, Jesus Christ. And what was powerful about that is when Jesus walked with the disciples, what was some of the traps that they kept falling into? Thinking that Jesus was going to be a military victory. 
that finally he's the Messiah who's going to overthrow the Romans and bring back the glory of the time of David and Solomon and establish his kingdom through that way on this earth. Even so, when I go to Jerusalem, and they're going to mock me, and they're going to beat me, and they're going to crucify me, and Peter says, no, Lord, never. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. They still couldn't understand that God is going to save them by the Lord their God. And what that means is God is going to come and take on flesh and die. So that their sins are forgiven. So that they can truly receive mercy. That they can truly have forgiveness and God can still be just and justifier of those to whom he saves. So even in the midst, that's what's so powerful about Hosea. And as we go through these different chapters and that, even in the midst of these times where God is speaking out his most harsh, clear judgment against sin and judgment against immorality and lifting up eternal conscious torment, he's lifting up the judgments of hell for those who are not in him and those who do not believe in him and aren't in his son, Jesus Christ, In the midst of this truth of God lifting up his holiness, his judgment and his wrath, we still also see the gospel is always present for those who will trust and believe and throw themselves down before God and cry out, save me, save me, save me. Because you realize you can't save yourself. You don't have enough strength. You don't even have the desire until God makes you alive. So that's what this second child, this no mercy. And when you realize, when you realize that God will have mercy on those to whom he all mercy, and he will show compassion on those to whom he will show compassion, and you realize that you are one who he has shown mercy and compassion because he's made you alive through the power of the Holy Spirit. He's given you the gift of faith that you've been saved by the Lord your God. What do you do? You just cry out, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. This is a gift. This is grace. This is love that I do not deserve. That's what's What's being presented there in verse 7? It's pointing us to the gospel of how we're all saved. So then you have the third child. The third child. This is in verse 8. After she had weaned, no mercy, lo ruhamah. Gomer had another son, then the Lord said, call him Lo-Ami, not my people. That's that name. For you are not my people, and I am not your God. Aren't you glad there's a verse 10? 
All that we deserve, any of us, is verse 9. That's what Hosea is building us up to. All that we deserve in our sin, in our disobedience, in our rebellion, in our brokenness, is verse 9. What are we entitled to? Verse 9. What have we earned? Verse 9. All that any of us, based on our own ability, based on what we have done in our sinful, rebellious, broken selves, all that we should hear is, you are not my people and I am not your God. But there's verse 10. Thank God Almighty, there's verse 10. And here's verse 10. Yet the Israelites will be like the sand on the seashore. Now, where does that take you? That's Abraham. Remember Father Abraham? Had many sons. Had many sons and Father Abraham. This is it. This is his promise. Like the dust, like the stars in the sky, like the sand on the shore. Why? Because even though Abraham's descendants have been unfaithful, God made a promise. And when God makes a promise, he is faithful to bring it about so that's what he's saying here yet the israelites will be like the sand on the seashore which cannot be measured or counted in the place where it was said to them you are not my people they will be called sons of the living god that's it that's grace that's mercy That's all of us. Remember what we looked at? For those who were here last week in Ephesians 2, they talked about these three titles. We all used to have two of these titles. Children of disobedience, children of wrath. That would be the same thing as not my people. If you're a child of disobedience or a child of wrath, you're not a child of God. You're not one of God's people. But what does God do through his son, Jesus Christ, through the death of his son, Jesus Christ on the cross, through the resurrection of his son, Jesus Christ, displaying the victory over sin and death in the devil? There's a new title for all those who trust and believe and have faith that God saves through his son, Jesus Christ. What's the new title? Children of God. Children of God. It's exactly in this text. Same parallel statement. Once you are not my people, they will be called sons of the living God. So that's what Advent is about. Advent is you are, you are looking forward to, you are longing for the revealing. The revealing of Emmanuel, God with us. You want to be one of God's people. You want to be his child. Because when you're a child of God, that means you receive mercy, you receive grace, you receive forgiveness, you receive life, and you will be with your Father and all His other children forever. 
even though we've been unfaithful, the gospel is this. God is always faithful. And just as he promised that he would save the house of Judah through his son, he promises that to each and every one of us. That if you would believe and trust in Jesus Christ, you become a child of God. You are one of his people. And you receive all the promises that are in the scriptures. And let me encourage you, when God makes a promise, he keeps it. He keeps it. So let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you that again in your word, you display your grace and your goodness. Father, we, we tremble when we see your judgment, when we see you express the judgment of not showing mercy and not showing forgiveness. And Father, we rejoice when we experience your forgiveness and your grace and your goodness. Father, we pray that you'll just keep our eyes fixed on your son, Jesus Christ. Because we cannot boast in anything but you and you alone. In Christ's wonderful name, amen.